The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Jesus is Better Than. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. I'm excited to introduce to you um, Pastor Ryan Hughley, um, who has uh, volunteered some of his time this morning and, and, and taken upon himself to, to prepare a sermon for our church family. Uh, and we're just so glad to have him here this morning. Ryan is a uh, Acts 29 pastor at Redemption Bible Church um, in the Chicagoland area. Um, he is a, a, a great pastor, married to Tammy. He's got three kids. Um, and he also has a podcast called In the Room. Really great stuff. Gets to sit down with uh, authors and musicians and pastors and ask them questions that we all want to ask them. And, and so check him out there. Um, but with that, I'll just turn it over to you, Ryan. And um, I'll pray for you here real quick, if that's all right. Yeah, please. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you, Lord, to be able to gather um, and to lift your name high uh, and, and know that it was Christ who surrendered all. And Lord, out of seeing what Christ has done for us, would you incline our ears toward him? Would you turn our eyes and set our gaze upon him? Uh, and, and Lord, listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to what your word has to say. And so I pray an anointing upon uh, my brother, Pastor Ryan, as he preaches this morning. Would you give him uh, words to speak, your words to speak, um, and, and ears to hear that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, I just want to start by saying how grateful I am to be here. Uh, I count it a high privilege. I'm in the middle of an eight-week summer sabbatical uh, from my church, uh, which has been an amazing gift from our church to be able to have that time to spend with my family. Uh, It's sad in that I haven't been able to preach, and uh, preaching outside of being with my family is my favorite thing to do. Uh, I don't feel like it's ever anything that I have to do. It's always something that I get to do. And uh, so this is a great privilege for me uh, to be able to be here. Uh, Pastor Justin has been a really great friend to me, and I have to say he has maybe the coolest pulpit I've ever seen. I don't know if he jacked it from Middle Earth or where exactly he got this from, but it's, uh, I think he does CrossFit just to move it, is, is what I'm, I'm guessing. So it's starting to come together for me. But it's a great privilege to be here. Your leaders have been a very generous, very gracious host uh, to myself and uh, Tyler. Uh, So I would love to pray, if I could, uh, before we open God's word together. Uh, I have a very high conviction that when the word of God is faithfully preached, that it's God who speaks. Uh, When Jesus sent out his original disciples, he said to them, the one who hears you hears me. And, uh, and when we are faithful to the text and when we are faithful to who Christ is and what he has done, uh, I deeply, deeply believe that it's God who speaks. And so I believe this morning that God has a word for us. And so I want to invite you to bow your heads with me if you could, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into God's word together. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We've, we've sung this morning and uh, testified this morning to so many of the amazing things that you have done for us and to who you are. And so we, we pray, Lord, um, this morning that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes as we come to this uh, issue of greed and generosity, Lord. Uh, Would you soften our hearts, Lord? Give us eyes to see the reality of our own greed and the pervasive nature of our own greed, Lord. Some of us uh, are completely unaware of its presence and its impact on our lives. And so we ask, God, that you would do the work this morning that only you can do, that your spirit would... um, would apply 
the good news of the gospel and the good news of your word to our hearts and that we would all, Lord, our collective prayer this morning is that we would leave this place changed. So we pray that Jesus uh, would be made much of and, um, and that you would change us. We love you and we confess our need for you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I want to talk about, I want to look at a parable this morning, and uh, the parables are, I just did a series on the parables uh, at Redemption, and the parables are tricky, uh, because the parables tend to be these stories that we have a tendency to sort of moralize, uh, and to uh, really distort what seems to be such an obvious meaning to them. Uh, And the the parables, if you don't know, were one of the most primary tools that Jesus used uh, in the midst of his teaching, 35% of everything that Jesus said said in the Gospels was in parable form. And what a parable is, is a, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a moralistic truth for how we can be better people. Uh, the Jesus used the parables as a picture of God's kingdom breaking into the world. And so the parables, uh, Jesus used them to paint this picture for what the world in general and what our lives in particular look like when Jesus, when he, as God, reigns and rules over them. And so this morning, I want to look at a parable that addresses the problem of greed. And I think it's really important that we talk about this issue because I think that greed is something that is present in every single one of our hearts. And oftentimes, we're completely unaware of its presence. And so I want to start just by giving a basic working definition uh, when we talk about greed, what it is that I'm talking about. So greed, I would define as this. I would say that greed is an insatiable longing for more and more. Greed is an insatiable, meaning it can't be satisfied. It's an insatiable longing for more and more. And with that as our definition, you can be greedy for anything, There's the obvious sense and the sense in which Jesus talks about and will talk about in our text this morning. You can be greedy for money, have this insatiable, unsatisfiable longing for more and more money, but you can be greedy for sex. You can be greedy for relationship, for approval, for power, for for stuff. There's nothing that we can't be greedy for. And I don't think this will probably come as any great surprise to you, but greed is condemned in God's word from front to back. There's not one place where it's ever elevated as something to be valued or to pursued. It's condemned from front to back, maybe most clearly in the 10th commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, God through Moses said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So greed is the heart sickness that causes covetousness. And, and greed is a dissatisfaction with everything that God has given you and a preoccupation or an obsession with gaining the things that God has given other people. And we have to understand that it's not just, it's not just the nature of greed that's such a problem for us. It's our inability to see it in ourselves. And I, I hope we know this, but just because you don't see it in yourself doesn't mean that it's not there. I took my uh, three-year-old son, or my five-year-old son, I have both, if you're wondering. I'm not that detached from the life of my kids. I've got three kids. Ava is seven, and Ryder is five, and Lincoln's three. And uh, Ryder was at the dentist this week. It's the second or third time at this point that he's been to the dentist thus far. Never been a problem. Everything's been fine. He's been a champ about it. But this time, they took x-rays for the first time, and they found that he had three cavities, 
And so uh, I'm nervous about that because they're going to drill him. And uh, that's not going to go well. I'm just going to prophetically step out and say it's going to be a fiasco. So they're going to have to really gas him. And, uh, and I'm actually going to see if I can get some of that to take home as well. I don't know if they do that. Uh, but so we took him to the dentist and uh, they found these three cavities. So we go into the dentist thinking everything's fine. Uh, no problem. We're going to leave here just like we've come here the last three times. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, and then it turns out that he had these cavities. And the fact that we didn't know about them doesn't change the fact that they were there. And greed's like that. Just because you're not aware of the fact that greed exists inside of your heart doesn't alter the fact that it is in fact there. In addition, I think it's important to note that greed is completely indifferent to your level of income. I think oftentimes that we think that uh, greed is a problem for the rich. Uh, Greed is a rich man's problem or a rich woman's problem, but the truth is you can be rich and greedy and you can be poor and greedy. And I would argue that it might be even more common and more pervasive in in those of us that would not consider ourselves rich because it means that there is so much more that we may desire and have this insatiable longing to possess. So it's completely indifferent to our level of income. And uh, and it's just, it's everywhere. And so I want to give us just a little question to maybe help identify the presence of greed inside of us. I think this is just the simplest way to kind of ping that in your heart and go, no, that does exist in me. And so here's, here's what I would say. Uh, here's a question that you can ask yourself or, or uh, a statement that you can use to filter to identify greed. If you believe that your life would be more satisfying if God gave you something that you don't currently possess than the seed of greed has already been planted in your heart. If you believe that your life would be more satisfying, if you would be more happy, if your life would have more value, if it would have more meaning, if you believe that you would be more satisfied if God gave you more of something than the seed of greed has already been planted in your heart. And, and here's why that is so dangerous. At my church, I like to give uh, a big idea that I set typically at the forefront. It's from the text, but it's sort of this overarching, this is what uh, the text is getting after, and this is what the sermon hangs on. And so uh, the reason that greed is so dangerous is the big idea this morning, and I would say it like this. Greed is dangerous because it destroys me and it dishonors God. Greed is dangerous because it, dis- like, it destroys us. And, and even more significantly, it grossly dishonors God. And because money uh, tends to be at the heart of greed and covetousness, Jesus spent a great deal of time teaching about money. They say that the two things that pastors like to preach least about are sex and money. And, uh, and so I decide I'm going to a place where I don't know anybody. Let's just talk about money. People love that, right? That's how you make friends. Uh, and so I want to talk about that today because, because Jesus had so much to say about it. Do you know that 25% of Jesus' recorded instruction in the gospel all has to do with money? 25%. And if you were to survey the New Testament, you would find 20, or just the gospels, you would find 28 total passages related to money. If you survey the whole Bible from start to finish, the Old Testament and New Testament combined for over 800 verses on finances. 800. 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus taught all had to do with money. So if we just look at the math of it, clearly there's something here. 
And, and, and I always say this to my church, but the reason that Jesus talked about money so much isn't because he was like hard up for it. Like God's doing okay financially. I don't know if you're aware of that, but he's, he's pretty comfortable. So it's not that God needs your money. It's that nothing reveals the gospel's grasp on our hearts like money. And it's kind of cheesy to say, but there's a sense in which our worship tends to follow our wallet. And one of the things that has the tightest grip on us as a culture is money and possession and greed. And so Jesus hammered it over and over and over and over. And so some of us come into this place this morning and we are living lives and we are just ruled by greed. And you may not be aware of it. Or you might be here and, and even now as you're listening, you're, you're, you're able, have the self-awareness by God's grace to be able to say, no, I live with this insatiable longing for more and more. And no matter what I get and no matter what I possess, it's never enough. I'm never happy. I know people like that. I've been that type of person. I am that type of person at times. And my guess is that, that you are too. And so we need to come under the authority of God's word and the grace of God's spirit this morning and be set free from this really demonic, pervasive issue of greed. And so it's to that end, if you haven't already, I want to invite you to open your Bibles or your mobile apps or whatever it is that you're going to be reading on and go to Luke chapter 12. It's the text that we just heard read, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. And while you're getting there, uh, if you're new to the Bible and don't really know your way around, uh, the New Testament is kind of in the middle, and it starts with these four Gospels, these narratives of the life uh, and teachings of Jesus. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's where we're going to be this morning. So get to Luke chapter 12. We'll meet in verse 13. A little bit of context, because we're jumping into the middle of a book and into the middle of a chapter. And so this Gospel was written in the form of a letter to a man named Theophilus. And we don't know that much about this guy, Theophilus. We know that he must have been pretty wealthy because he had commissioned this guy, Luke, to, to write it for him and to give him an orderly account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so that's what we have in the Gospel of Luke. But he also wrote the book of Acts, which is like a second volume to this story. And the book of Acts, if you've read it, you know that it records the uh, birth of the, the early church. And so both of these are written by this guy, Luke. Luke was a doctor which meant that he was highly educated. And uh, I don't know if you know, my dad was a, was a doctor, and I know that doctors tend to be pretty precise people. When you play fast and loose in medicine, people die. And uh, just because, that's free, if you wanted to know. If you have a doctor or you ask them, do you play fast and loose with medicine? You should ask that when you go to your doctor, because if they say yes, leave immediately. All right, so Luke was a, and the reason that I tell you that, I think that's an important detail because it means we have great reason to trust what Luke writes. Luke put together this specific, this is what Jesus said. He didn't make things up. There's no frills. There's no extra. This is what Jesus said. This is what happened. And so we have great reason to trust what Luke writes and what Luke records here in this gospel. And so if you were to uh, look at chapter 12, verse 1, you kind of get the setting. We see that Jesus is uh, in, surrounded by what the text says was many thousands gathered to hear Jesus teach. So if you put yourself in, in the story, we're gathered together with thousands of people, no sound system, no microphones that crackle while you speak, none of that, just Jesus, just Jesus talking to these thousands of people. And it was in the midst of his teaching 
that someone in the crowd asks him a question. And in answer to that question, uh, Jesus teaches this parable that I think reveal to us uh, three marks of a greedy fool. And so that's the way that I'm going to kind of frame these verses. Three marks of a greedy fool that come out of these verses. And I like to use these as a way to uh, filter my own heart. And to ask myself, man, are are any of these things present in my own heart? Are any of these things present in my own life? And so I'm asking and I'm hoping and praying that the Spirit would use it that way in your heart. uh, Because we need to know if these things are present in us. So we see three marks of a greedy fool. Uh, I'll give you number one. It starts like this. The first one is uh, the fool doesn't guard against greed. So if you like to take notes or write stuff down, you can write that down. We're looking at three marks of a greedy fool. Number one, the fool doesn't guard against greed. All right, look with me at verse 13. Uh, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so notice here at the outset, someone in the crowd tells, I kind of like that detail, I just find that to be rude at best, tells Jesus, doesn't ask him, hey, could you help me with this? He just tells him, hey, do this for me. He's like a toddler. That's how my kids are. They don't ask for anything. They're just like, Cheerios now. And there's just very, very little please and thank yous. And so this is that guy. This guy is just like, uh, Jesus, do this for me. And he tells Jesus to act as judge and jury over an inherited property dispute between he and his brother. Now, God's word, uh, he he clearly instructed on how these matters were to be dealt with in the Old Testament. So if you were to, you don't have to turn there now, but if you were to look at Deuteronomy 21, Numbers 27, and Numbers 36, you would find where God had instructed his people on how to deal with these matters. Now, what's happening here was not an uncommon scenario. It wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to be put in this position and asked about these types of matters. So he would teach on something, it would spawn a question, and they would ask it, and then they would continue to answer and teach. And we're not told exactly what the issue is, because ultimately it's irrelevant to the story. What matters is that Jesus had that annoying habit of knowing what motivated people's questions. Like, we are so glad that our friends don't have that. That, 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 that Jesus always knew what you really meant and what was really behind every question that you, and oftentimes people don't have to say anything, he just knew their hearts, the New Testament tells us. And so we don't have any of the details, but what we do know from Jesus' answer is that Jesus knew what was motivating this question. And he shifts away from the man, and he shifts to the crowd, and he warns them to be on guard against covetousness. Now, if you have uh, the New International Version that you like to read from, the NIV translates that word covetousness as greed, and regardless of which word you like, the meaning is the same. It's an insatiable desire for more and more. And so Jesus says, be on guard against not some, not just particular types, be on guard against all covetousness or greed. And, and, And here's why Jesus is so intent that we be on guard against it. Because when you let your guard down, you become susceptible to attack. And so we're called to be on guard. Uh, My son, uh, Ryder, is just, for me, a well of illustrations. He's my five-year-old and uh, the dentist that you're praying for, right? You're still on board with that? You didn't forget about that because that's going to be like a thing for me, okay? So I need you to stay on board with that. Uh, So he just started boxing this summer. 
So five-year-old's boxing is like, it's like the greatest thing in the world. If you've never had the privilege of watching that, it's amazing. And uh, one of the things that the coaches are, are on them about the most is to keep their hands up. Because if they're not punching the bag, they're basically running around with their arms down, inviting someone to punch them in the face. And so over and over, I think the, the, the cue that I hear coaches giving the most often is keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. And they always tell them why. When your hands go down, so does your guard. And when your guard goes down, you're inviting attack. And I think that when it comes to greed, many of us, if not most of us, have our hands down when Jesus says that we need to be on guard. We're just inviting the enemy to attack us in this way. And Jesus tells us why we have to guard against it. Greed is built on the lie that some possession, that some possession will purchase your satisfaction. And that is not true. Do you know that? You're fed that sermon over and over and over and over again every day, but no possession will ever purchase your satisfaction. It won't happen. Jesus says it won't. For one's life, he says, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you know what that means? It means that who you are is so much more than what you own. Too many of us are defined by, have defined who we are, our identity and our value by what we own. And so our quality of life, our joy, our satisfaction, all of those things hinge on whether or not we can get what we want. But we have forgotten that Christ is sufficient for us. Do you, do you know that your life will never get better than being known by Jesus? It's never going to get better than that. Your life will never get better than knowing Jesus. No matter how far you go, no matter how high you climb, no matter how much you succeed, life will never be better than knowing Jesus, ever. And I would argue that if any possession or any position that you can attain seems more satisfying to you than the joy of belonging to God, then you have not drank deeply enough of the grace that he's given you. Greed destroys me, and it dishonors God. And if we don't guard against it, it will get us. And we've seen here, we're looking at these three marks of a greedy fool. Jesus starts by teaching us that the fool doesn't guard against greed. Now, notice that Jesus, as he shifts away from the man and to the crowd, he follows up this basic instruction with a parable. And he paints a picture of the dangers of greed through this parable, showing us the second mark of a greedy fool, which is this. Make a note of this. The fool trusts possession over the provider. The fool trusts possession over the provider. Look at verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? Now pause there for a second. So the setting of this parable is you have an already rich man whose land produced a generous crop. So he had plenty and then he's blessed with more. And that leads him to what I would argue is a very good question. He asks himself, man, I have more than I need. So what should I do with it? That's a question all of us should be asking. We should always be asking ourselves, how should I invest what it is that God has given me? So let's say that you come into a raise at work or you get a bonus or you come into some kind of money or when you think about your home or your time or your energy, we should always be asking ourselves, how can I maximize this for the glory of God and the good of those around me? We should all be asking that type of question. 
<clears throat> so to be clear, the man's wealth is not the problem. And there's this subtle undertone in much of evangelicalism today that says that, 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 that money is the root of all evil. The problem is that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Wealth is a neutral. Money's a neutral. It's not good or bad. It's a neutral. And, and if, if we're not careful, we, we can look at this guy and say, you know what this guy's problem was is he was rich. That was not his problem. It's just a tool. And this guy used it wrong. So the man's wealth is not the problem, nor is his question. It's his solution that reveals the deep nature of his greed. And we see that as we look at verse 18. Look with me. And he said, I will do this. Here's his grand plan. Um, I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So this guy's solution, when he asks himself, what, it, what again was a good question, what should I do with my surplus? This guy's solution is I'm going to tear down my old barns because they're not big enough and I'm going to build bigger ones so I have somewhere to store all my stuff. And so in, in essence, what his solution was, he decides, you know what, I'm going to hoard what God's handed me. That's my plan. And listen, that's, that's greed. Greed is when we hoard what God has handed us. His trust was in what he possessed. And as a result of everything that he'd been blessed with, his intention was just to ride cruise control through the rest of his life. But what this man didn't know was that God was about to take the very thing that he trusted in. And so God calls him a fool because he had worked so hard to accumulate something that would do him no good in his death. So this guy, what he had done, he did what lots of people do. He backed the wrong horse, as they say. And there's lots of different ways that we do this, but I'll tell you one way that we're all going to do it in the next few months. Uh, in 2016, we're going to elect a new president. And so every four years, uh, what happens is uh, our entire every pe people in our country, everybody gets fired up about a particular candidate. And we believe that uh, this person getting elected is going to solve everything that we think is wrong with our culture uh, in our country. And so what happens is uh, someone, and then this happens every single time, but what's going to happen in next year is that uh, someone's going to get elected and their approval ratings are going to be like through the roof at first. And then like three days later, they're going to start to tank because you quickly begin to realize that, uh, wow, this person doesn't care about everything that they said they cared about. And even if they do, they can't deliver on all the promises that they've made because they don't have the power to actually do that. Or third, um, they're human and they make mistakes. And so we put all of our hope and all of our faith in this person uh, to solve a problem. We put our trust there and then that person fails us and we're disappointed. And so I don't, I don't mean to sound overly jaded about politics. I just mean to sound very realistic about people. There has only ever been one savior and he already lived, and he already died, and he already rose again. And trusting in any per person or any possession or anything to put everything right in your life is a recipe for disappointment. And that's what this rich fool had done with his money. And so the lesson from his life for ours is this, that we should never, never, never trust what we possess. 
but we should always trust the God who provides. So if you've got something that God's given you, you shouldn't trust that thing. How many, how many people have gotten rich and lost it all? Or how many people have gotten rich just to realize that at the top, financially, it's just a miserable place for them to live because they've put their trust in that thing. And they've made that thing their savior. God intends for you to trust him right now, right where you are. And to use what you currently have for the purpose of generosity. Right now. See, my concern with us is that, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we have this horrible habit of planning to be generous when our income increases or maybe like when a bill drops off. So we think, you know what, I'm going to be like lights out generous when I get a raise. Or when I get a real job, I'm going to be like the most generous person on earth. Or when my school debt goes away, we're going to be like so generous. And um, I don't know how that's going for you. Uh, That's not gone great for me. I make like, I told our church this, I make like three times more now than I did when I was 20. And before you freak out, I made like very little when I was 20. And to be honest, proportionally, I'm not that much more generous now than I was then. And so we have this habit of, of, I think, I think what we have to be careful of is that we don't justify our greed by planning to be generous at a later date. Because make no mistake, you, you, you hoarding what God's handed you now under the guise of being generous later doesn't fool God. He knows. And it's foolish for us to expect blessing later when we're not being generous now. Like, do we really think that God looks at us as we hoard the things that he's handed us? And he, and he, and he thinks, well, you know what? They're doing a really lousy job with the little bit I gave them. But you know what? I think he'll fix it. I'm going to just give them a bunch more. <laughs> I can point to like five parables that say that's not true. That's not what God thinks. And so he expects us to be generous with what we have, where we are right now. And so the question that I want to ask that you would ask yourself is, are you generously stewarding what God's given you? I don't care if you're like broke college student, whatever you have, you're eating ramen every night. Are you being generous with what God's given you? Each of us has to ask God to reveal the reality and the answer to that question ourselves. Because if not, if you're not being generous, you have to ask yourself, are you trusting in your possessions rather than the God who has provided them for you? Greed destroys me and it dishonors God. The greedy fool trusts possessions over the provider. And then finally this, this is the third mark of a greedy fool. According to Jesus, number three, the fool invests in the temporary and ignores the eternal. The fool invests in the temporary and ignores the eternal. Jesus sums this up in uh, verse 21. Read with me. So, uh, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus looks at this, teaches this parable, and then he says, so is the one. You're like that guy. So is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus concludes by showing us two different ways to live. By showing us two perspectives on money and possessions, by showing us two different ways to look at investment. Uh, The first one is to store up treasure for oneself, and then the second one is to be rich toward God. So to store up treasure for oneself is to invest in the temporary exclusively and to ignore the eternal, pretending as though there is no eternity, and that what we do now doesn't impact what will happen later. But then secondly, to be rich toward God is synonymous with storing up treasure in heaven. It means to make eternal investments. 
And I, and I, I hope that we have the categories to think through this, that, that what we do now has implications on eternity. And not just when it comes to salvation. So to be just super, super clear about this, um, we are saved. The way that we experience justification, the way that we are made right with God, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay? So what you do does not save you. That makes sense? Hopefully we're at least on board with that together. What you do does not save you. We are saved by grace alone. Amen? That is the whole good news of our faith. And God promises us eternal reward for our earthly service. So what that means is what you do does not save you, but what you do does impact the eternal reward promised in scripture. And so we see this in places like 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Paul says this, He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what that means is the Bible talks about, whoops, the Bible talks about judgment in two ways. There is the, uh, and I I hope that you know this, and if you come into this place and you're not a Christian uh, and you're not sure kind of what you believe about Jesus and all that, I want to be really clear about what the Bible says about eternity. The Bible says that every single person who God has ever made uh, will someday stand before Christ and Christ will look you in the eye, which is like so amazing, isn't it? Like, do you get that one day you're going to stand before Jesus and he is going to look you in the face? And finally, the one that we have spent so much, the one that we have spent so much time reading about and praying to and worshiping and singing, like you're going to see his face. Every person will stand before Christ one day. And every person will be divided into one of two categories. Those that have chosen to not put their faith in Jesus and to trust him to be their righteousness will spend eternity apart from God in hell. That's real and that's true. And it's forever. And those of us that by God's grace have put our faith in Jesus will live in eternity with Jesus where there is no more pain and no more sorrow, it's all gone. So there's that aspect of judgment. So if you're here and, 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 and you have not put your faith in Jesus, I want to plead with you that you would make that decision. That you would trust that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, and that he rose again to pay for your sin. You can't work your sin off. You can't pay penance for it. You can't be good enough to gain God's, to gain God's favor and love and forgiveness. So Jesus did that for you. I would invite you this morning to believe that and to come into our family as a follower of Jesus. But the Bible talks about another type of judgment as well that will take place which is where we stand before Jesus as he looks at us and we give an account for every thought we've ever thought and every word we've ever spoken and every decision that we've ever made. Now that one's a little bit more, that one's a little bit more intimidating for me. I'm like super fired up about the like, I know I love Jesus and I've put my faith in him. I'm excited to see his eyes on that one. When he gets to the like, now let's talk about how you did. I'm not so fired up about that part. I just don't, I'm just not going to feel as confident at that point but that's going to happen. And we're going to give an account for 
what we did with what God gave us. And that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians here. He says that we are going to give an account uh, and we will receive what is due for what, we, what he has. Uh, let me just back up. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this rich fool that Jesus describes here, he didn't consider the long-term effects of his greed. He was only thinking about the here and the now. And so he pursued the immediate gratification of temporary enjoyment rather than to think about eternity. And if you think about it, that's a very childlike choice, isn't it? Like that's what kids do. Kids almost exclusively think about immediate gratification. I heard recently about a study that was done in the late 60s, early 70s, and it was called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. I'm not making that up, okay? People with lots of degrees, that was the best name they could come up with. But it's because uh, what happened was they had children that were taken into a room with a researcher and a marshmallow was put on a plate in front of them. Maybe you've heard about this. And each of these children was told that uh, the researcher said, I'm, I'm going to go out of the room and I'm going to come back. And typically they were gone for like 15 minutes. And they said, uh, you can either eat this one marshmallow now, or if you wait until I come back, you can have two. So that was the deal that was struck with them. As you can imagine, the vast majority of children were like, as soon as they walked out of the room, like yawned and the marshmallow was gone. Uh, they couldn't wait. Didn't even cross their mind. Like my, my kids would have done that for sure. And so then what they did is they followed these kids, not like in a creepy stalker way, but like totally appropriate for science. They followed these kids for 30 years to see if there was any tie between what they achieved in the long term and that one decision that they'd made about immediate gratification then. And what they found down to every single one of them was that those who were able to wait um, had higher SAT scores and they had much higher educational attainment that was even a physical thing. They found that, that those that waited typically had lower bas bo mass body indexes, so they were more physically healthy and fit, and they had a, 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 a wide range of other life successes that those that had been unable to wait did not have. I think that's pretty interesting, because many of us are like the kids who couldn't delay gratification, that's the way we're living our entire lives. We settle as Christians for less now, forfeiting more later. And it's just foolish greed that causes us to hoard the things that God has handed us. And so as a result, in his grace and in his mercy, what God has done is he has given us grace-driven generosity as, as his remedy for greed. If you want to know, how do we combat? How do I fight? This is in me. How do I fight this? How do I combat this? Generosity is one of the primary tools that God has given us to combat the greed that's in our hearts. And you know that Christians should be the most generous people on earth? There should never be a non-Christian who out-generouses us, which is not a word. I'm quite aware. Don't judge me. All right? That just should, like, we should be because we have experienced that we are generous people because we serve a generous God. There has never been a more generous act than God giving his own son in our place for our sin. And because of the generosity that we have been shown by God, we should be generous people. We should be generous with our possessions, with our time, our energy, and as we see in our text, with our finances. So that includes being generous with our tithes and offerings to God here in the local church. That includes um, looking for opportunities to serve God by blessing others in an infinite number of ways. God's been specific in his word about a couple of ways that we're to be generous. 
So we see this practice of, of bringing tithes and offerings in our local church. We see that in God's word. We see that we're commanded to care for others. But he's also given us the Holy Spirit to lead us in a multitude of other ways that we can combat greed with generosity. And so I would just invite you to take stock of where you're at right now and how you're living. And ask you, where are you investing? When you think about the way that you're stewarding everything that God's given you, but specifically the finance that he's entrusted to you, you know it's his. At no point in the Bible are we ever called owners of anything. We are stewards. It's all God's. It's all from him. So we steward. We don't own. And so how are you investing what it is that God's given you? Is it, is it exclusively in the temporary? Or are we making internal investments as well? Greed will destroy you. And it dishonors God. The greedy fool invests in the temporary and ignores the eternal. So greed, greed like all sin, this is so important that we see this. Greed like all sin is an issue of the heart first. And because it's an issue of the heart first, only God can change our hearts. And so what that means is, my my concern, I don't want you to rush out of here thinking, well, you know what? The way I'm going to deal with the greed is I'm just going to tithe it away. I'm going to serve it away. That alone won't do it. That has to flow from the right place. Order is very important in the Christian faith. And greed is an issue of the heart before it's an issue of anything else. Only the grace of God in Christ can kill the seed of greed in our hearts. Amen? Only Christ can do that. And so I want to close our time together this morning by asking God really to do three things for us. Since he's the one, ultimately, I think there's some practical application. Like, we're not being faithful in our finance. Like, we need to get that all sorted out for sure. But I want to I pray and I want to ask that God would do some things in our hearts. And so I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to ask him to do three things. The first is that, that his grace would remove the greed from our hearts and would replace it with generosity. That, that he would just strip that out of our hearts and that he would replace it with these generous hearts that trust him to provide. Secondly, I want to pray that God would reveal what it is that's keeping us from living generous lives. So maybe you're here and maybe it's just greed for you. And you know, right now, I don't even need it. He showed me. I know it's greed. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you feel like, man, if I step out and I'm generous with this, what if I don't have enough? Well, you know, God has promised to provide for everything he's called you to. So he will provide. So maybe it's fear. Maybe it's just priorities. Maybe, maybe your priorities are off. Maybe it's a, 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 you just mismanage your finances and you're not sure what to do with that. Many of us weren't handed good tools. Maybe even by your parents, you weren't taught how to manage money and that that's really your issue. Find one of your elders, find a leader here, and they'll help you figure out how to do that. So we want to ask that God would reveal to us what it is that's keeping us from generosity. And then finally, I want to pray that that in his grace, that God's spirit would empower us to keep our guards up, that God's spirit would empower us to trust him as our provider, and that he would empower us to step out in generosity and to keep eternity in front of us rather than just the temporary. Greed destroys me and it dishonors God. So by God's grace, let's walk in and toward greater and greater generosity. I love you. Will you bow your heads with me so we can pray? Father God, I thank you so much that you know us so much better than we know ourselves. Lord, 
I love the fact that, that even when there are things that you reveal to us that are shocking to us, like maybe there's some of us here this morning and we're realizing, wow, I, I have greed in my heart. Thank you that that never shocks you. That you're never shocked by our sin because you know it so much better than we do. And so, Lord, I, I, I want to pray these three things for us this morning, Lord. I want to pray that that you would do the work that only you can do and that you would remove the greed that exists in our hearts and that you would replace it with generosity. Help us to be the most generous people because we serve the most generous God. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us what's keeping us from stepping out in greater and greater generosity. Would you reveal that to us? We, we want to take action uh, by your grace Uh, against what your word has said, and and we need to know how. And so would you reveal to us, Lord, what is it that's keeping us from generosity? And then finally, God, I ask that your spirit would empower us to keep our guards up, that we would know the moment we let our guard down, it will come back. Help us to trust you, Lord, to provide. Help us to find our satisfaction in you. Help us to know that even if we lose every earthly possession, we still have you, And that's what matters. So Lord, would you do the work that only you can do? And I just want to pray in conclusion, Lord, specifically for anyone who may be here who doesn't know you, who maybe knows a lot about you, maybe even has grown up in church and religious circles, Lord, but doesn't genuinely know you, hasn't genuinely turned from their sin and trusted you by faith. Spirit of God, would you empower that faith in their hearts now? Would you draw them to yourself? And would you make them your own? I love you. and We love you. And we thank you for being such a generous God. Would you make us generous people? And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus and everyone said, amen.